Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 162, recorded April 5th, 2014. Right, so today we're doing Marvel Comics Deep Space Nine, 4 through 6. Yep, wrapping up that plague storyline. And then we start up a new one. Yes. Yeah, I'll have some things to say about these three. <laughs> I have some things to say about these three, and it I'm may gonna, not all be pretty. I'm going to hold off just yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely with the lesions and everything, there are bits to this first comic that are not pretty. We right. have plague victims here to be dealt with, including poor Jake. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a lot of lines in this one. Right. But he is made to be kind of a, quite frankly, kind of a pawn in the uh, narr- narrative, I feel. Well, yeah, let's talk about that after. I don't want to spoil anything. <gasps> okay, cool. So, should we launch right into it? Yeah, let's go ahead and get it done. Get her done. Okay, so this is issue number four, Marvel Deep Space Nine, The Cancer Within, part number two. Published date is February 1997. The writer, Mariano. Penciler, Tom Grindberg. Inker, Al Milgram. Colors, Matt Webb. Letterer, Jim Novak. Editor, Bobby Chase. Chief, Bob Harras. The cover shows Jake Sisko with lesions on his face and shoulders in a medical cryo chamber. His father, Captain Sisko, stands over him, stoically looking down at his only son, who he is realizing he could quite possibly lose. In dripping candle wax creature features font is the word plague with a big exclamation mark at the end. In the upper right, uh, in the upper right of the cover, in the lower right is a more traditional text that reads, A Father in Grief, A Station in Panic. The story opens reminding us of the deadly Maquis virus that has infested Deep Space Nine and threatens to turn the station into a metal coffin for every soul on board. Bashir and Captain Sisko are discussing a message they just received from the heart of the Badlands, Maquis territory. The message is supposedly from Dr. Pulaski, telling of the Maquis-engineered virus. She is at the location where it was engineered. All its secrets are here, the message says. Dr. Bashir wants to go immediately. Sisko is not convinced the message is factual. He thinks it could be another of a long line of Maquis tricks. The captain finally relents and tells Bashir to take the only functioning runabout and to pick a volunteer team. Go to the Badlands and bring back the cure, Doctor. Hours later, the runabout is well into the Badlands, dodging asteroids, when two Maquis scout ships attack. Worf, Jadzia, O'Brien, and Dr. Bashir are all aboard. O'Brien is able to use some special tricks to lose them. They spot a ship's blinking running lights near a small moon. It turns out to be Dr. Pulaski, all right, right where she said she'd be. They beam her over to the runabout. 
Pulaski explains it is her daughter that drew her in to getting involved with the Maquis. She says they can discuss that story later, but for now, it's the cure to the engineered virus that needs their attention. She says the virus is mutating fast and that her daughter and the Maquis scientists were close to having a working cure when they fell ill also. They are now in stasis. They need to pick up her daughter's work and find the cure. They change course to the Maquis research colony. Back on the station, Sisko is speaking over a comlink to Admiral Nechayev. She reminds him of the ban on contact with the Maquis. She accuses him of letting his personal feelings for his son cloud his judgment. Sisko objects and says that is not driving his decisions. The Admiral tells him when Bashir gets back with the cure, he is to destroy the biological research facility. No trace of that work can be allowed to survive. Sisko gives the order to wrap up repairs on the Defiant and get her ready for immediate departure. Meanwhile, Bashir's team arrives at the Maquis research station and lands their runabout. As soon as they disembark the runabout, a mob of Maquis led by a man named Kunkel attempt to force Bashir and company off the base. Given their sickness, Worf and the others make short work of them, while Dr. Pulaski and Dr. Bashir get into the base. Kunkel makes threats about eventual retaliation from the ground where he is on his back. Jadzia is worried that given time, Kunkel may find a way to make good on that promise. The team assembles in a medical research room with twenty or so sick patients. Worf and O'Brien use their phasers to seal them in and keep the mob out. The doctors can see the affliction is more advanced with these patients. They have been infected longer and the virus has had time to mutate even further and become more virulent. Meanwhile, the Defiant comes out of warp near the Maquis research base and are attacked by the two Maquis ships that had threatened the runabout earlier. They are well armed with Federation phasers and photon torpedoes. Sisko tries to reason with them, but they attack anyway. Sisko tries to ignore the small ships, but in its damaged state, the strafing attacks start to take their toll on the Defiant. Sisko finally has no choice and orders low-yield phaser strikes on the ship's engines. They are able to disable the ships, and the Defiant continues on to the base. All communications are jammed, so Sisko does not know the status of the team. Odo asks if the captain intends to go right in as soon as they get there. Sisko says no. He wants to give the doctors a chance to accomplish their mission first. Meanwhile, on Bajor, in a secret installation in a darkened meeting room, there are six shadowy figures discussing the plague on DS9. What appears to be a Cardassian says the Maquis is ending up doing their job for them. The station is in chaos. Another figure that appears to be wearing a Bajoran earring says whether the station survives this disaster or not, they have their own plans to put in motion. Nothing will stand in the way of the Shadow Group. Meanwhile, in the research lab, the doctors are able to isolate the characteristic in the DS9 security man's blood that allowed him to stay unaffected while the virus was able to affect other Bajorans, like Major Kira. They begin the next step to turn that information into a cure when the sound of explosions starts. 
Ground-based weapons are firing up at something in orbit. Despite the fighting, Dr. Pulaski is able to complete the synthesis of a vaccine. They inoculate themselves and their patients, but will have to wait until later to inoculate O'Brien and Worf. In orbit, Cisco orders them to maintain their current distance from the Maquis installation. Close enough to be a tempting target, but far enough away to keep them out of effective range of the ground-based weapons. They still cannot cut through the Maquis jamming and directly contact Bashir's team, but the noise of the Maquis bombardment will communicate clearly that the Defiant has arrived. In the lab, Worf and O'Brien return, saying the mob has broken their way in. They grab all their notes and vaccine to get back to the Defiant. The mob comes closer, threatening violence, but the inoculated patients, including Dr. Pulaski's daughter, walks towards them, now back on their feet. The vaccination is very effective, and they are the proof that finally shuts the mob up. The Maquis stops firing on Defiant and shuts down the communications jamming equipment. The doctor's team beams up, and they head back to DS9 with the cure that will save Jake, Kira, and the rest of DS9. And That was a close one. Another close one, yes. But I don't think they actually destroyed the base. At least they didn't say they did. No, they didn't say they did. Yeah. So wasn't that the Chayev's order? Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I thought he was supposed to kill everybody there. Maybe not kill, but... Yeah. Yeah, destroy, and if they're there, they're there. <laughs> well, okay, but I, I think she's, I, I hope she said after the, uh, after they got the after cure they, to do that. Right. And well, kill everyone there! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed a little harsh, I thought. I was like, she was, uh, yeah, she was harsh. Uh, I mean, so, so the whole Jake thing was, uh, was something. She was really playing up big. It's like, come on, take it easy on old Benji. <laughs> yeah, so she was not uh, impressed that he went ahead with his own plan because she just assumed he was doing it for selfish reasons. Yeah, for Jake. That's not him. No, doesn't she know him by now? Now, now Nachayev, I remember she was in multiple episodes, but was that Next Gen or was that Deep Space Nine? I don't know, it's... it's... It's a familiar name. Yeah. Oh, I know she's been on. Uh, I, I thought it was Deep Space Nine, but... I mean, uh, Next Gen. I thought it was Next Gen. But right. I could be wrong. So, they left base, right? In yeah. In Defiant. Right. Mm-hmm. So, did they leave the shuttlecraft? Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, they should have taken the runabout, but they didn't... At least they didn't acknowledge that. But maybe, you know, maybe Worf or somebody, O'Brien, they, maybe they flew the, the Defiant back. I don't know. Well, the next issue starts immediately after this, and guess what? Spoiler, there's no runabout. They're all on the Defiant, having a good time, drinking martinis. (laughs) Exactly. So they left, but I thought it was funny, and you even said it in your synopsis. I mean, they were really drilling home that this was the only working runabout. Yeah. And for them to just, meh, we don't need it anymore. Yeah, we don't need it. Eh, eh. It only costs like a million jillion dollars to make a spacecraft like that. Eh. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, there's no dollars or money then. Except, of course, for references to Federation credits or something. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, whenever the story dictates that feder- that credits exist. Exactly. Exist. Right, right. Other than that, we've evolved beyond monetary things like that. 
Okay, well, good. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so they just, just forget about the runabout. And what about that shuttlecraft that Pulaski beamed off of? I mean, that's another valuable ship. I mean, not theirs, but... But it was already stolen by the Maquis, so right, was, nobody wants that one anymore. It's like, yeah, but, but, you know, it's, it's a shuttlecraft. Anyway. Right. Yeah, they seem to, uh... Yeah, what about those guys in the, uh, in the fighter? Uh, th- those smaller ships. Right. Those are, those are cool little ships. I thought so. I mean, it, in some ways, they look a little bit like, um, like runabouts. Uh, right. I think both of them were slightly different from each other. And the back end of one you can see pretty clearly. And it kind of looks a little bit like the back top of a runabout. Um, and I was kind of wondering, I mean, are those actually supposed to be fighters? Or are they kind of like, um, like more like a Y-wing fighter? You know, kind of a bigger, bulkier fighter. I think it's supposed to be a bigger, bulkier fighter. I yeah. think it's like a like they took a runabout and somehow modified it into a f- more of an attack of, of an attack ship. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because when the Defiant fights them, I mean, they look like they're almost as big as the Defiant, which would make them pretty big. Well, maybe that's just. Maybe they just didn't draw them 100% right, or maybe that's just perspective. So the right. fighters might be closer than, than the Defiant. I don't know. But but they should be pretty small <laughs> compared think. to Defiant. Yeah, because it shows the cockpit and it looks like it's just like a, like, you know, maybe... Like a one or two person. Like a shuttlecraft size glass window kind of thing. Yeah. But it's flatter than a, than a, than a runabout, so you don't look like you could walk all the way down it. You'd have right. to crawl if, you, if there was some way to get to the other end. Right. No, they're pretty cool. I liked them. And, and the engine—the engines look more integrated into the uh, into the body, like the Defiant. Like the Defiant, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, they're not page numbered, but when the Defiant is actually fighting them, I thought they looked pretty cool. And then, especially when the Defiant's like destroying their engines, it, it's a pretty cool visual. Yeah, it is very nice. Of course, again, I ask, what about those those guys? So, are they just assuming they'll be rescued by uh, by the other Maquis? I don't know. Well, now that they're all not dying there at the base, they might send somebody out there for them. Yeah. Since they're cured. Yeah, well. And what about, okay, so they got the cure. So now the Maquis really maybe has exactly what they wanted. They've got a virulent disease that they didn't confirm works on Cardassians, but that's what they wanted, right? Right. So it probably works on Cardassians. It worked on all the other different races that were on Deep Space Nine, as far as they were saying. And now they got the cure just in case it gets out of hand. I'd say that the Maquis has what they wanted. Yeah, I thought that too when they had the uh, when they made the cure and just gave it to them. Right. Because it's not like now when we find a cure, they have to use that cure to then make more of that cure. So it seems like she could just scan it and then. They act like they just beam the information or broadcast the information to Deep Space Nine and just knows that all the people on Deep Space Nine are good now. Right. So, yeah, so, I mean, the data's there. So now they have a deadly disease and a cure. Well, maybe that's why it's not going to be a big deal anymore because they'll share the findings of the cure with everybody, with the including Cardassians. Cardassians. Yeah. And this this will be like, you know, chickenpox or whatever where nobody will ever get it again. Mm, good point. But I still think they should have destroyed the uh, base and taken all of my key prisoner. Agreed. 
Of course, they didn't have enough people to do that, but uh, enough Federation people in the ship. But that that should have been the objective eventually. Because right. this Maquis station, no matter what, is going to be up to no good. I agree with you 100%, my friend. There you go. Okay, so the Shadow Group, who could they be? Yeah, that was out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I wonder uh, if they ever come back. I, I wonder. I Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a surprise. I mean, I, I thought it was a welcome surprise. Yeah, well, uh, the Shadow Group uh, appears to really take their name seriously since they meet <laughs> in the dark. Right. I, I just watched last weekend uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Uh-huh. And I'm sure you've seen the trailer. Where, I've seen the trailer, uh, but... Where um, Tina Fey's, she, she's a guard, and she's walking out, and she says, Lights out! And the lights go out, and she falls... Turn it back on. I can't see anything. That's what I was thinking when I saw this when I saw this scene because they're <laughs> sitting at a table in complete darkness so that they themselves can't see each other. Uh huh. Just so that they can say we're the shadow group. Exactly. It's I mean, it's ridiculous. a little ridiculous. It is very ridiculous. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is a Muppets joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is how the Muppets would have done the shadow group. Exactly. It was With funny. Tina Fey tripping. Yeah, but, so uh, we'll see what they're all about. But uh, it does look like a uh, looks like Bajorans and Cardassians working together. Hmm. Yeah, I did like how they did that, where you could just see the it's they're complete shadowed, but then you could just see the light coming off of a neck ridge of one person, and then the light gleaming off of a ear and earring off of another person, while the rest of them is completely dark. Right. It was it was a pretty cool visual. So they're definitely communicating to us right. who these people are. And who knows when it'll come back. Oh, it, you know, it could take a long time, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe it'll come back quickly. So what do you think about how, uh, what do you think about the artwork? Yeah, it, it, it was different. A lot of times the people looked really off, which right. kind of threw me off. And who looks most off to you? I know who I think looks most off. Uh, I'm going to say Bashir. I would agree with you. Okay. Again, they get Bashir totally wrong. I mean, yes, he's got dark hair. You know, he's more or less a Caucasian guy. Uh, but, I mean, the, his, his coloring isn't right. Definitely his face. He does not look like Alexander Sindig. Sindig, right. Sindig. Okay. Doesn't look like him. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I thought I thought he looked off, and then Miles looked off quite a few times too. Oh, yeah, I got some comments on that in the later issues we're doing today. But yes, Miles looks off. <laughs> However, uh, I think they did a good job with ships. We talked about the yeah, Maquis attack ships that would look pretty good. Um, right. I think that yeah. two-page spread where the uh, Defiant is hanging out over the Maquis installation that looks pretty cool. So I think they did good with the space shots. Oh, where the Maki installation looks like it's exploding or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, I did think that was funny. So not only did they leave the um, the shuttle, that was that was my big thing. Why, why did you leave the runabout there? Right. But the other big thing was, and you didn't mention this in your synopsis, is that the 
the Maki are shooting some sort of projectile-based <laughs> weaponry at yeah. the Defiant in orbit. Yeah. yeah. And it's not reaching orbit, so it's actually then coming back down due to gravity and yeah. smashing into their own complex. <clears throat> yeah, I know. That was dumb. I mean, what are the the chances that you can shoot something straight up in the air and then it'll eventually, you know... Land on you? Land, you know, slow down enough that it, gravity then picks it back up or pulls it back in and lands on you. You'd have to be shooting straight up, literally. Well, yeah, and would you really have an anti-aircraft gun like that? I don't know. That shoots projectiles of some sort? Exactly. I mean, if you're going to shoot, quote, projectiles, shoot a missile up. Right. Um, but why would you even do that? I mean, this is like the, uh, you know, 23rd century or whatever. Right, so, why not just shoot phasers? I mean, they, exactly. they have them. Right. And if you look at the ground, ground-based um, gun, because they actually do show uh, a ground-based weapon on one of the pages... Uh, it's stubby enough that it doesn't look like a projectile launcher. It looks like a uh, it looks like a phaser battery, right? To me, anyway. And you can tell that it's it's shooting at like maybe a forty five degree angle, which means that by what the it time shows, it, but yeah, it's I did not like that part. I thought it was a no. little ridiculous. Yeah, and if they're trying to say uh, in like good evil villain style that their own stupidity is ending up destroying the base. In the end, and mm-hmm. so so the Federation doesn't have to get their, their hands dirty with taking it out. Um, well, maybe that would be a way to explain how that little thing about Nachayev telling them to destroy it, how that was taken care of for him. But at the end of the story, you know, th- th- there's a little there's a little skirmish, and it, it looks like it looks like the whole place is not burning down to me. So it does look intact. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> so, so why would they even bother with the whole thing about the shells coming back down again? I mean, why would they need to? Just because they want to, during their escape and whatever, they want there to be more confusion, mass confusion in the installation? I mean, what was, what's the point of doing that? I did not know. Because, you know, well, they, they they did make a big deal about the fact that that they that Bashir and company would know that they're firing up at somebody would communicate to them uh, that that the defiant was there. So maybe that was part of it. I don't know. I Whatever. Don't know. It was muddled. I mean, you could just hear it. Why, why couldn't they just say we can hear these things shooting? Why did right. they have to? Right. We have to hear them pounding back into us. Well, that's another thing. If it's a phaser, I'm you know, it's great that phasers make make noise and stuff, a really cool, you know, whatever, whatever the phaser sound is. But it's shooting light. It shouldn't make any sound. But and even even big phasers shouldn't make any sound. But whatever. Oh, that's that's blasphemy right there. Well, yeah, it's like turning on a flashlight. There's a flashlight. Next, you're going to tell sound? me that the engines shouldn't make noise in space. Well. Yeah, well, you're, well, the engines will make sound, it's just that uh, with no atmosphere beyond the ship, you wouldn't be able to hear it. In the ship, you'd be able to hear it. Sure. Yeah, but, yeah. I'll quit bringing physics into it. Reality, exactly. I, I do like how, at least in the movies, they showed running lights on the ship. 
Because it's right. this thing where you can always see the Enterprise, no matter where it is, no matter how they could, they could be in the middle of 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 deepest darkest space in between uh, solar systems, it would always be perfectly visible. Uh, always was a bit of a compromise to reality. But. <laughs> so at least I I'm, I'm glad in the movies they started having running lights on the ships. Yeah, and I loved how the running lights I would actually. Uh... You know, have like little spotlights so that it would shine up on the NCC one seven zero one and right things like that. Yep, that was cool. It was cool. But I digress. Back to this issue. Well, did you want to talk real quick about being a, a pawn? I didn't think that the admiral was using him as a pawn, just more as you know, thinking that Benjamin wasn't competent at his job and that he was letting his emotions rule him. Yeah, and and maybe pawn is not is not quite the uh, right word that I should have used, but basically, a big point is made of Jake and his condition, uh, right. and, and how it may be may or may not be uh, affecting Cisco's decision making, and I just thought that was like, I just didn't think that Shaiev was right about that. Right, and I think that we all know Cisco well enough that we wouldn't think that that was. Yeah. And in and in fact, I didn't talk about this in the synopsis, but they made a big deal about where uh, Bashir wanted to go, and Cisco wouldn't let him go at first because uh, he was saying basically the same thing that Nachayev was saying. We're really not sure if this is a trap, blah 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 blah. So they made a big deal about that in the beginning, so you you knew what uh, Cisco's motivations were, and he had to be talked into it by Bashir. So right. that when Nechayev comes to, you know, hammer on him and accuse him of putting uh, his son over that of the needs of the of the Federation and the station, that um, we know she's dead wrong. Darn it! Right. Yeah. And lastly, Doctor Pulaski, incredibly young looking, and yeah. it seems like she and her daughter are somehow going to get off the hook um, for working with the Maquis. Well, I thought that was wrapped up a little too neat. Yeah, well, it's kind of the whole thing of what they what are they going to do in the base? So it's you know with the base, they just completely ignored that part of it. Yeah, I think they do say that they're going to be brought up on charges, but since Pulaski was just trying to help her daughter, and her daughter ended up helping find the cure, that they're both going to be let off with like a warning or something like that. Which I'm sorry if you well. I don't, I don't and, even and, think Pulaski would get off because she's still, you know, she's there. She's part of it. She didn't, you know, yeah, tell but, Starfleet right away. But she came out to help her daughter. She didn't come out to be, I mean, there's intent involved here. Her intent was to come out to help her daughter, not to uh, aid the Maquis in any way. Now, sure. she is guilty of having contact with the Maquis. And that's, you're not even supposed to have contact, as Nachayev said earlier. So she's guilty of that. But I think that's it, personally. Okay. But. Okay. Yeah, and as far as the daughter is concerned, she's no more guilty than all the other people on the base, all the other Maquis people on the base. So, yeah, so what happens to her should be happening to all the, all the Maquis on that base. Right. If they actually did anything about it, which they don't seem to be. Right. They should have, you know... Basically arrested a lot of them. They should have. Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe there. Maybe there's another Starfleet vessel coming in to arrest them. 
the paddy wagon. The paddy wagon. <laughs> yeah, because there's not enough room in the uh, Defiant for all those people, I wouldn't think. I would not think either. Yeah. All right, you want to go to the next one? Let's. Okay, so this is issue number five. It's and the title five. is? The Shadow Group. Oh, there they are. Yeah, finally, finally the story is paying off. <laughs> All right, so the writer, I just see Moreno. I don't see any other name. Yeah, like in the last issue. Oh, okay. Penciler is Tom Greenberg. Inker is Al Milgram. The colorist, there's a spot for colorist, but there's no name in it, so blank. Uh, letterer is Chris Alopoulos. Editor is Tim Tuhi. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harris. And Starfleet Operations, Chip Carter. And by the way, Donovan, I interpreted the fact that there was nothing in there for colorist, that the inker and colorist was Al Milgram, but I, that could be mistaken. Well, that was my original thought, too, but then then why move the colorist over so far to the little, to the right? I don't know. It just seems like there should be a spot there, and there's not. Yep. Okay. All right. So this issue came out March 1997. All right. So the cover has a caption that says, Kira's fears come true as the shadow group is revealed. The picture shows Kira, Garrick, and Zyreel with their hands manacled behind their back. They're sitting on the floor with their feet also in shackles. Standing above them, we see a shadowy man holding a ball with Odo's face in it, and an equally shadowy Cardassian. So the story starts with the Defiant arriving to the station after its adventures with the Maquis in the Badlands last issue, i.e. no runabout. As they're approaching the station, Deep Space Nine is rocked with an explosion. Sisko orders them to dock post-haste. On the promenade, Garrick and Kira are trying to free Zayil from some wreckage. Kira states that no one was hurt, although there is lots of damage, especially to Quark's Bar and other places. Sisko and the rest of the senior staff arrive from the Defiant, and Worf finds a Cardassian scroll nearby that states clearly that Zayil was the target for the blast. Elsewhere on Bajor, the mysterious shadow group is meeting to talk about the bomb. A Cardassian seems upset that no one died. A Bajoran states that it was all by design. Now, the Federation will be very confused as to the true intent of the bombing. In the medical ward, Bashir is giving Zail a blood transfusion from Garrick, when suddenly they are attacked by three men of unknown species in black ninja costumes. Though they are firing phasers, they seem to be hitting no one. Odo is able to do his Plastic Man impressions, and he scares the villains off. When the three villains get cornered in an airlock, the ninjas overload their phasers and vaporize themselves to prevent from being captured. Later, Kira contacts Goldicott about the attacks on Zael. He states that he'll be arriving shortly and that he'll be taking a break from his one-man war against the Klingons to check up on her. Later still, Kira is going to Bajor to investigate a transmission that O'Brien detected just prior to both attacks. Garrick and Zael insist that they both be included in the mission. 
She relents, and the three of them are joined by Odo, and they head to Bajor. Upon arriving to the surface, they are quickly captured by men wearing either black ninja costumes for some, and other ones are wearing what might be knockoff Breen armor. Meanwhile, Sisko is taking the Defiant to Cardassia Prime to try to get some answers. When he arrives, they witness a battle between Federation shuttles that have been stolen by the Maquis and some Cardassian battlecruisers. Sisko is reluctant to join the battle, but eventually he joins the fight. He knocks out the engines of one of the Maquis shuttles and beams over the crew just before the shuttle and all the other shuttles self-destruct. Sisko is surprised to find that there was Cardassians piloting the Maquis craft. One of the captured Cardassians states that he will never stop the Shadow Group. Back on Bajor, Kira is brought to the Shadow Group's leader. It ends up being a Bajoran she had once known back during the war named Zol. Zol is holding Odo in a ball for no reason that I could see. And he states that there is a second Cardassian war starting. And this time it'll be Cardassians versus Cardassians. He also feels that Zail's death will be instrumental in starting this war. Back on Cardassian Prime, Dax contacts Sisko from Deep Space Nine to inform him that he needs to return home since Goldicott is not too happy about Zail's disappearance and that all contact with Kira and the runabout have been lost. Back on Bajor, Odo is being kept in a glass container. Zol is still smug in his plans when Odo breaks free because somehow he replaced the door to this glass container with his hand, and no one had noticed. Suddenly, Kira, Garrick, and Zail are also free, and the four of them escape the building that they've been in all this time. On the way out, they notice that the building has a cloaking device similar to how the Defiant is cloaked. Their escape is cut short, however, when several Breen soldiers beam down around them. And I say Breen, I don't know for sure they are. They're just wearing uh, costumes that slightly resemble them. Zol arrives, and he starts to talk. But one of the Cardassian Shadow Group leaders kills him. He's about to do the same to Kira when Dukat's bird of prey arrives in orbit along with several Federation shuttles. This distracts the Cardassian long enough so that Kira can stun him. The other armored soldiers give up without a fight. Later on Deep Space Nine, Dukat bids his daughter farewell and then leaves again to further his war against the Klingons. The end. Hmm. I kind of wondered, did Kira really have to shoot that guy in the back? <laughs> he was going to shoot her. What? He was? Wait a minute. Someday. I, someday. <laughs> <laughs> I, he, she shot him in the back. Yes. And she was like, ha, 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 gotcha. Now, naturally, she's doing it for payback, um, you know, for, for shooting uh, her ex-mentor. But, I don't know, it seems a little bit... Uh, Vindictive and, and unnecessary, but it, it, it did feel it did kind of feel good. Did it? Yeah. Okay. Well, it was payback. I, I think she was getting off on it. 
it, I definitely agree with you that it seemed like payback, but I don't know if it felt good oh, for us on. to watch that. Oh, well, he was the bad guy. But she and did. The bad just, guy got. She just stunned him, so it's. All, I know, but it's d- all good. Yeah, I, I know it's all good in the end. But look at, I mean, he looks like it looks like it hurt. So, and he's like, ah, you know, going forward and everything. So, right. Like, like he was hit with a shotgun or something. But it's <laughs> yeah. really only a beam of light and shouldn't push him anywhere. But right. It looked good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looks good. A little a little emotional satisfaction there. I just didn't think she needed to do that. But Agreed. Now, all the other troopers that are standing around them with guns. Yeah. Why do they give up so easy? They could have blasted Kira for shooting their boss. They could have. But there's like... There's like five ships right above them that were going to blast them. So I think that's why they gave up. It's like, oh, five ships. Great. Or what is it, four ships? Well, whatever the it's number is. There's quite a few. Yeah. There's plenty of ships there. And they're all armed with phasers. So, And by the way, those, those outfits, you said they were the Breen? They look kind of like the Breen, but then well, they, they also don't. So I don't know what they're supposed to be. Well, yeah, why the armor in the first place? I mean, I, I thought they would have been Cardassians. But I don't remember Cardassians ever wearing armor like that. Not like that. Not that I know of. So, I mean, okay. So, what? Uh, there's only one Bajoran guy, the ex-rebel right. leader, right. and then and then the one Cardassian guy, and then everybody else has stormtrooper outfits on. So I don't know. It looks a little stormtroopery. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't get no, it. No, I don't get it either. Because I mean, by this time we know who the villains are. Yeah. And you've already kind of played with it with the, the ninja outfits. You know, good for you. You're keeping the mystery alive. <laughs> Who's the bad guys? But, yes, the uh, ninja outfits. I didn't get why the, the weird... Yeah, and it doesn't even... Sometimes they look like Breen. Sometimes they look like, you know, you know the generic stormtrooper outfits you would buy at, <laughs> for a dollar at the dollar store. Right. I mean, they, they're, they're weird. I don't know. I don't know why they have such things. And speaking of the ninja outfits. Yeah? Really? I mean, it looked cool when, when, they, when they showed up, uh, you know, trying to, to kill Zial and stuff. But it's like, uh, <laughs> if you're going to wear ninja outfits like that and you're walking the halls of Deep Space Nine to get to the infirmary, don't you think somebody noticed that? Right. Like, hey, guys, Halloween? What's the deal with the ninja outfits? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we're just going to work out. <laughs> yeah, this, these are our sweats. You should, okay. you should really try that uh, ancient Japan uh, holodeck routine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. All, uh, all, all form and no function. It's like, yeah, it looked cool, kind of, but really. Let's think about that. Shouldn't they be, like, dressed as... Like a Bajoran person or something, right? And and are they Bajoran or are they supposed to be Cardassian? I I think there's that's an excellent question because at first I thought it was kind of like a mixture of many Bajorans and many Cardassians in the Shadow Group, but they're making it seem like it's only the one guy, right? <clears throat> Zol or whatever. Yeah, which is a ridiculous name. <laughs> Every time Zol. I read it, I kept thinking of soccer. Zol. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways. So, uh, O'Brien looked terrible in this comic. 
Uh, yeah. There are multiple places where he really looked bad and not, not accurate. Uh, there's one in particular around, I think it was around the middle of the comic. Again, there's no, no numbers. Uh, and he looks really chubby. Uh, when he's on the Defiant, uh, firing on the um, Cardassian Marquis ships? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly. There, there were two that were, that were extremely objectionable. One, he looked like he was really, really chubby in the face. And the right. other one, it looks like he's a villain. Uh, and I, I thought the villain one was the one where he was shooting. Okay, around the middle of the book is where he's like kind of in, in the shadows, like right. firing. And that he looks like a vindictive villain. <laughs> and then there's another place in a different part of the book where maybe it's towards the end. I'm not sure. Where his face looks really uh, chubby and uh, stuff. So, Right. I just didn't think it was accurate. Agreed. I, I thought that they missed on him. Yeah. And unfortunately, he he seems to be you know when we were doing the DC stuff, he also yeah. seemed to be very hard to get right. Hard to get right. Always had the giant forehead for some reason. Or <laughs> yeah, just right. looked off. No, I agree. Mm. Now, all right, explain to me this: Why was Odo in a ball for no reason, and Zol was just holding him? I mean, he even makes a comment that, "Oh, your Odo knew." I mean, he says something like, uh, he says something to the effect that it, that he's, they somehow got him to be a ball or something. Do you remember? Well, I think... Your friend Odo I think I mean, in, his, in this bubble saw the wisdom of that and saved your lives. But what are they talking about? What did I miss? Well, I think... I, I the way I interpret it, and it's just an interpretation. Don't know what, that I'm right because it wasn't it wasn't made clear in the comic. But maybe he because he's a dangerous guy. I mean, he could take out a lot of people at once uh, with his Mister Fantastic powers. But maybe he said, maybe they said, you go liquid and get into this ball, or uh, you know, we're going to kill everybody else. I had thought of that too, but yeah. I wish they would have said that. Yeah, it would have. Made more sense, but who knows? Right, who knows? Exactly. Okay, so I didn't necessarily miss anything. It's just I don't think you missed anything. Ambiguous. It is ambiguous. Okay. You ask too many questions for a comic book reader. And and then and then his way of getting out of it was so ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. So somehow he was able to replace the lock on that. That clear uh, tube he was being held in is that is that what it was? He said the door. He replaced the, the, the whole door. door? The I thought it was the door lock or something. Uh, I thought he said the door. Okay. Well, the main thing is okay. With he his can hand. be he can be anything. Okay. So I got to ask if he was able to replace his hand with the door lock. Or the whole door. Okay, sure, yeah, the whole door. It says, since you left the door off long enough for me to replace it with my own hand. The whole door. That's what it says. Okay, well, where did the door go then? No idea. Is it in his That's back pocket? <laughs> There's Where'd another door open right beside it. Nobody thought two, two things about that. Oh, the door's open and closed. Well, it makes no sense. I hated it. That, okay, now if it was the lock or something, then I've got less of an issue with it. Because it's a smaller thing. But even that. Where'd you put the lock then? Um, anyway, I don't know. 
Or maybe a lock you could like stuff in your abdomen and then just <laughs> envelop it because you're you're Mr. Plastic Man liquid guy. But a whole door? You can't do it with a whole door. Anyway, I don't know. Right. Was not was not pleased with that part. No. And then it, then when it shows him coming out, it looks like the tube or glass glass tube that he was in is like shattering and flowing out. He's flowing out. So if, why didn't he just open the door if his body was the door? Why does he have to shatter this glass container? Yep. Yeah, it, there was a lot of... And then, then suddenly everybody's just free. I'm assuming he went and freed him, but it doesn't say that. Just they didn't, one, one panel they didn't waste your time out. with that. What? They didn't waste your time showing the obvious. <laughs> Guess not. Oh, they're trying to move things along. Moving things along. All right. Well, then let's 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 follow their suit and move things along. Yeah, because I don't really have anything else to say about this. No, I'm good. I think I've... Oh, I do have one last thing to say. All right. So, I remember there... Okay, so we've got um, half Bajoran, half Cardassian uh, character, uh, Zial, mm-hmm. who is in... Who appears to be in a racially motivated danger. And she's a female character. Now, there was an issue or a series of issues that we read um, four months ago, five months ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it had the same thing. So it had a half-breed, Cardassian, I think Bajoran, female. And she's on the station, target of, uh, I guess, Bajoran's trying to kill her. And in the end, Bashir has to give her plastic surgery to make her look like a third alien for her uh, to get away. Right, right. So I just wonder how many times they're going to use the same thing in uh, in stories. And I don't think that that, that wasn't um, – she wasn't Cardassian. She wasn't Cardassian and Bajoran, but, but yeah, you're right. She what? Was, oh, what she, was she then? Oh, man. Because I, I thought that was the whole problem. Because oh, she's a she's a half breed. She's half Cardassian. She's a spy because she was like raised in Cardassia or something. Right. And then she wanted yeah, to see maybe. her mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. And then he made her look like completely different because she yeah. had like horns and stuff. Right. But but some alien that was close enough to Cardassian, but not Cardassian that she could end up looking like. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you're right. I do same, remember that now. Same kind of thing. But but that was DC. I'm pretty sure that was DC. Uh, that was Malibu. Oh, oh Malibu. Yeah, that would have made more sense. It was Malibu, right? Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, good point. Okay, shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. So this one, issue number six, it's titled Risk, and it is the beginning of a multi-parter. Writer Howard Weinstein, penciler Tom Grindberg, inker Al Milgram, Colors by Matt Webb. Letterer and Virtual Calligraphy by Chris Elipolis. Editor Tim Tuohy. Chief Bob Harras. Starfleet Chip Carter. The cover is dominated by a Mr. Serious Face, Benjamin Sisko, looking down on what appears to be a spaceship breaking up in pieces. Text asks if Captain Benjamin Sisko is a murderer. In The Defiant... Captain Sisko, Dax, O'Brien, and the rest of the crew is exploring a special anomaly far from the Bajoran sector. The anomaly was just picked up on station sensors four hours ago. 
In the center of the anomaly, they find an unexplained source of time displacement. The anomaly is generating seemingly random waves of force that is rocking the ship. They finally determine that it's their own sensor energy that is triggering this new behavior. O'Brien reports the anomaly is imploding and that the ship's hull won't be able to take the impact. Sisko gives the order to come about and get out of there. They cannot outrun the shockwave and are taken over by it. Many ship systems go offline, including artificial gravity. They are finally able to clear the anomaly with thrusters only to find multiple very large ships in their midst that they did not detect previously. They are hailed by one of the ships that dwarves the Defiant. Sisko opens a channel and identifies the Federation, his ship, and himself to these uh, new people. The alien hailing them identifies himself as Dr. Koth of the Shirin Alliance. He says he expects Sisko's full cooperation in the investigation of the disaster the Defiant has caused. The three alien ships lock tractor beams on the Defiant. O'Brien reports they are in no shape to resist. Sisko says they won't then. They will get to the bottom of this. The captain does not take kindly to having his ship assaulted. Sisko, O'Brien, and Dax transport over to Dr. Koth's ship. There they find out Dr. Koth is accusing the presence of the Defiant for destabilizing their first successfully generated artificial wormhole. A single-person ship was sent through and was destroyed by Captain Sisko and the Defiant. Sisko objects and asks how could his ship's presence cause all that. Dr. Koth says that is what the trial will determine. Sisko talks Dr. Koth into holding he alone responsible for what happened and letting the Defiant and the crew go free if he is found guilty. Later, the Defiant, under escort, arrives at a nearby moon that serves as the base for the Shearn's wormhole project. Sisko and Dax discuss how Dax will conduct the captain's legal defense and how O'Brien is looking for weaknesses in the Shearn tech, just in case. Sisko and Dax are brought down to a massive high-tech moon base where Dax meets Dr. Maev, who has been assigned as her escort. He makes it pretty clear that he digs Jizia's Chile. Meanwhile, on the Defiant, Julian is telling O'Brien that he has been working nonstop for too long trying to find out how their artificial wormhole tech works. O'Brien says the anomaly does not make sense, but there are gaps in their sensor readings of it. Bashir says that Dax is working on filling in those gaps. Hopefully, she will succeed. In the moon base, Dax is seeing Dr. Koth about the minimal amount of information she is getting from his underlings. He says that's too bad because that's all the information she'll be getting. She leaves Koth's office fuming. Dr. Mayav intercepts her and asks if he can speak to her alone. He makes it clear that he is willing to help her because not everyone on the station subscribes to the same definition of truth in the blind pursuit of monolithic science. They take off in a small transport ship where Dr. Mayev tells Dax he used to be the leader of the Duralis project but was replaced by Koth. 
when he was not driving the project to conclude at all costs. The project is not universally popular with his people. It costs far too much, while too many of their people are still starving, despite having such a technologically advanced society. This disaster is just the failure that would bring this project down. Judsia says she now sees why Dr. Koth is in such a hurry to find a scapegoat. After the first day of hearings, Judsia is not happy. The judges are scientists on the project who seem to have already made up their minds and are marching to Dr. Koth's tune. Dax does not know how she can change their minds. As Sisko and Dax are walking in the moon base, O'Brien is running towards them, saying that he has something. He tells them he thinks the conduit may not have been destroyed at all, but rather shifted violently out of phase with our universe. He says the Sheeran test pilot could still be alive, which would make the trial irrelevant. They meet with Dr. Koth, who says this is just a wild theory, a gimmick to save their captain. Dr. Mayav comes to their aid, saying it is possible. O'Brien says, if it's possible, you must try to save your test pilot. Koth says he will leave this up to the judges, who of course later say it's horse hockey and that they need proof before anything changes in the trial. O'Brien says, if it's proof they want, it's proof they'll get. O'Brien takes a defiant out and attempts to send unmanned probes into the area of destabilization to find the Shuren test pilot. None of the probes return. Finally, he proposes to send a manned probe in that he will pilot himself. He says he can pilot the probe around the gravity wells that likely swallowed up the other probes. Kira makes the call that it's too dangerous and tells O'Brien to find another way. O'Brien goes to the probe work bay. He decides to do it anyway despite orders and takes the probe out. Worf tries to talk him into coming back, but O'Brien says there is no other way. Wish him luck. The scene cuts to the courtroom, where the judges have found Sisko guilty. The sentence is death. An eye for an eye. The Defiant and her crew are free to go. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, so found guilty. Yeah, he's going to be found guilty. Yeah, and for such an advanced society that apparently can't feed all their people, they also have a pretty primitive eye for an eye policy. Uh, so they're going to kill Cisco, supposedly. Right. Well, These guys are wacky. He did kill. They did kill somebody. Well, I know, but eye for an eye. I mean, in in most states uh, in the U.S., that it you know that that is not automatically going to happen. Right. You know. So, and of course, in other countries around the world, in many cases, it doesn't. So it seems a rather um, a primitive way to go about things, right? And, and their whole their whole justice system, I think, is really being pointed out that they're a little backwards because they're already right. guilty before they really even start. Even though we're going to give you a fair trial, <laughs> yeah, by our definition, which is really interesting. So this leader, Koth, which by the way, he sounds like a Klingon. Um, he seems to be all-powerful. And everyone's right. just going along with him. Because it's quite yeah. obvious this, is, this really is scapegoatism. 
they're trying to keep their precious project going. So if they can blame it on an alien, not not their own failures, then they think they'll get away with it. Right. And then it just seemed a little coincidental in, in that the person, the aide assigned to Jadzia to help her yes, happens to be the former leader. And he just happens to, uh, I mean... Not agree with uh, what Koth's doing. Yeah, so if Koth knew that this guy had those feelings and that he himself, you know, was his predecessor, why would he let Jadzia and this guy even get close together? Yeah, it's very convenient, isn't it? Right. And Koth should, I mean, he should put his foot down and somehow keep that from happening. Yeah. Well. But he doesn't. Apparently, of all the... Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people involved in this project, he picks his ex his ex enemy. <laughs> Funny. Right. Anyway. So exactly how many people from the station are on the ship? <laughs> it seems like every senior member of the Deep Space Nine uh team is on the ship, except maybe Odo. Oh, Odo's there. He's just shaped as like a phaser on the wall. Oh, we'll okay. see him later. We'll see him later. Okay, because you know, at first it's on the bridge of the Defiant. It's just Jadzia, O'Brien, and Cisco. Right. Uh, they don't show anybody else. And then, oh, all of a sudden, hey, it's um, it's Doctor Bashir. He's talking to O'Brien. Oh, okay. So Bashir was must have been in the infirmary or whatever sick bay on the ship. Oh, okay. And then, oh, he's talking to Worf. Cisco's talking to Worf. Oh, so Worf's there, but not on the bridge. Oh, okay. And then, oh, there's Kira. Oh, what's Kira doing there? Okay, so basically they le- they they've left some young lieutenant at the con of the uh, in ops or something. Uh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Every <laughs> single person is there. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I I don't know. They always I, do that though. Well, yeah, but it's like, yeah, I was expecting to see Quark pop up, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe Morn, you know. <laughs> Morn's there. <laughs> Maybe a little hi-fi with Cisco in the hallway. You'll get out of this. You'll get out of this, Cisco. Yeah, yeah, Morn, I know. So here's another example of, you know, something really bad's going on. Let's play baseball. <laughs> Playing catch. At least right. they're not using the holodeck, you know, to recreate a baseball game. But here they are. Yeah. Playing catch and engineering. I don't know where they're at. Yeah. Um, I, I, it looks like they're on one of the, uh, the alien ships. Oh, okay. But it just, it just didn't look like the Defiant. It seemed like a pretty wide open space. And the Defiant tends to be kind of closed in in the rooms. Right, but you know, may, may, maybe they were undefined. I don't know. I don't know. I just assume that why would the uh, why would the aliens have you know baseball mitts with the Starfleet logo on them? <laughs> yes, good question. But and they're playing catch, and they look very close together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not it, challenging themselves very much. They are, because have you ever tried to catch a ball when someone's standing five feet in front of you and throwing it like they're doing it? It's hard. <laughs> because Well, that that's why uh, zero that's why, time to aim. Uh, that's why Jadzia's uh, mid is going flap! 
That's what it says right there. Thwap. It does say that. It does yeah. say that. And look at the size of, of the room they're in. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's an engineering on the Defiant. I don't know. It just looks very tight. Yeah. It looks tight, and they look really close together, and it looks like they're throwing it pretty hard. Yeah, but they don't have to be that close together. I mean, they got room to spread out. At least Cisco does behind right. him. Yeah, no, like, yeah, he could step back. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It, it, I, I'm sure it's just a visual thing, perspective thing, but it just looks like they're standing right five feet away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like some kind of game where they're moving closer and closer together to see if they can still hack it. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, so, what do you think about the? Uh, what are they? Are they like pimples on these guys' heads or something? These uh, these shirins? Oh, the little, the little mini horns. Those are horns. I don't know. It looks it it looks like two huge zits uh, on each side of their temples, you know, near their temples. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they kind of looked like you know, like the budding of horns. So I just thought that that's what it was, some sort of. Well, that's a little less gross. So, yeah. That would be a little less gross. Yeah. Yeah. As far as outfits go, what I thought was interesting was, uh, what's the leader's name again? Koth. Koth. Uh, I mean, Koth. sometimes... sometimes on Koth. <laughs> sometimes he has that tattoo on his eye, the little triangles oh, right. below yeah. his eye, and then sometimes he doesn't. So, to me, that was more... Concerning. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. I, I gotta look. Uh, right after the Sega Genesis ad... Or the Sega Saturn ad. It's a two-page uh-huh. ad. Right after that, there's a page where he's kind of like has his arms out yeah. for most of the page. On the top, tattoos. On the bottom, no tattoos. Oh, good point. That's a good point. That is a continuity issue. Unless somehow this this tattoo or whatever the hell it is is uh, something that comes and goes by design, which makes no sense. See, I assume that's what it was. Because surely they wouldn't <laughs> make a mistake with that. Oh, of course not. Good point, though. He is completely tattooless in that one panel. And perhaps others? Are there others like that? Um, that was the only one that jumped out at me. Okay. Interesting. All right. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Um, I did. Can I say something really quick? When sure. the, uh, the time vortex thing, the time wormhole, whatever this thing is. Right. Because they say it's time energy and spatial energy together, so... It's more than just a wormhole. It's an actual time-traveling device of some sort. But anyways, when it, when it blows up or says, Foom, and it shows the Defiant flying off, that is an awesome picture, I thought. Yeah. It's uh, like the third page in the book. Yeah, some of the artwork is quite nice. Yeah, so that, that uh, Defiant half in shadow with just a little bit of light on the side looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the title page you're talking about, right? Yep, yep, yep. Risk yep. part one, right. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, th- there is some good artwork. And in general, people's faces look okay. Um, nothing jumped out at me that they were getting the faces wrong, but maybe they did. Um, you know, for a guy with a wife and a kid, O'Brien sure is willing to uh, take a lot of risks with his life. Right. To save one. Well, yeah. So, 
there was that whole thing in, in, in a Malibu issue not too long ago where he uh, pilots a runabout past a bunch of meteorites or asteroids or whatever, chunks of rock, so he can um, do something about an asteroid that's coming right at the station. So I can understand that his kids and wife is on the station. Mm-hmm. But in this one, and I know he's trying to save Cisco and stuff, but it's like, don't you have a wife and kid? And I'm sorry, this is kind of, this is really risky. I mean, you don't, you're saying you think it's some kind of gravity wells or something inside this anomaly that, that took the first three probes. But do you really know that? I don't know. Right. He's a, he's a gutsy engineer, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I mean, even if he was right, he, well, let's just say he was wrong. If he's wrong and he dies, well, now two people are dead. Mm-hmm. And if he's wrong and he still dies, I mean, if he's right and he still dies, I mean, he's throwing away his life for Cisco's. Right. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I did not, did not see the logic in his plan. Right. But Unless he's about he's to that... go back in time. <laughs> fix it somehow that way. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I'll agree that exactly what this thing is is not clear to me. Uh, I, I, I agree that they do talk about, what, tachyons or something, emissions or whatever. Um, so it kind of seems, on the one hand, like they're trying to artificially create a wormhole, maybe the likes of which that they use to get to the Gamma Quadrant right. on a regular basis. Uh, but then also there is a time element here. So it, wasn't, it seemed a bit muddled as to what this thing really is. Right. And another thing that confused me is, at first I thought that somehow they tra- they, the anomaly took them to another dimension or something. That's and that's why these ships are popping up out of nowhere. Um, but then it kind of makes it seem like, no, they're in our, in our dimension. Um, it's just a part of the Alpha Quadrant we really haven't explored much. Right. So I'm not... I'm not I'm not 100% sure what's going on there, but I'm just going with it at this point. It's all you can do, my friend. Exactly. Um, one last thing to say is I think and this gets back to the idea of this uh this Shrin society being stunted in some ways, some societal ways uh despite their impressive technology. Um and one of the ways is, even if Cisco was guilt or the, the ship was guilty of killing the pilot, it's like, well, then that's manslaughter, at least in our, in our judicial system. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no intent by them to kill anybody. It was by accident, basically. Um, so the worst you could be is manslaughter. So uh, the idea of them coming down with, uh, with a death penalty is uh, really weird. Right, agreed. Really, but really weird. Different societies, different rules. There you go. Okay, that's all I have to say. I'm done. All right, I don't think I have anything else either, aside from the whole floating scenes. Those were a little silly. Oh, when they lost gravity at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had a lot of damage. Right. So, whatever. All right, well, that's it. Unless you have anything else, I guess we can go ahead and start wrapping up. Let's let's wrap up. So we're going to take a break from Marvel. Actually, you know, we spent a month with them. 
It's about time for a break. <laughs> right. And besides, we've got uh, some ongoing Star Trek issues built up. So let's do it. Right. So for the next two weeks, we'll be doing the IDW miniseries Khan, mm-hmm. which will tell the definitive backstory of the new universe's Khan, which I'm sure we'll have lots of comments to talk about since I'm sure it contradicts the uh, the novels Rise of Khan, uh, which were, you know, quote unquote, you know, Star Trek Prime's version right. of Khan. So those will be interesting. Yeah. So actually seeing how uh, how the new dimensions take is on him. And the interesting thing about that, which I think you pointed out before in talking about Khan within the context of uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot universe, is that all the Khan stuff happened before the uh, Narada came back, came back in time, right? Right. So it should be the same as, as the Prime universe so right now there is a i've read the first issue of con and mm-hmm. there is a scene which may be my favorite scene of any star trek comic book we've ever read so wow uh, wow only because it it kind of uh a nod to the original version of con and this version of con and acknowledging that they don't match up which i thought was brilliant and we'll talk about it next week wow i mean if you can acknowledge that disconnect in continuity and do it in an entertaining way that you're so impressed with, I'm looking forward to it, to reading it. Well, it has a, it has a good start. I haven't read the other four issues, so I'm hoping it, it keeps building. Right. But uh, the first issue I, was, I enjoyed quite a bit. Cool. So after we finish those, uh, back in when we do episode 165, we'll do ongoing 29, 30, and 31. And uh, this will be the whole... Uh, not quite a mirror universe, but a gender-swapped universe where <laughs> our male Captain Kirk has to team up with the female Captain Kirk. Yeah, which is really weird. Um, and also, that kind of has an interesting tie-in with the some of our comments on the uh, Starfleet Academy issues we just did last week. So, the idea of having more females on the team than males, which right. is rare in Star Trek uh, series and stories. But in this one, it really underscores how it was a boys-only club and toss. Yeah, I haven't the read part. them yet. Have you, have you already read those? I've scanned through the uh, first issue. Mm-hmm. I have not read it yet. But, okay. but the fact that you see that in the command staff, for the most part... Um, they're all women, except for one uh, one guy who basically is a hurrah. Exactly. Right. So it's like, what's with all the chicks? It's like, oh, right. It was all guys, and this is flipped. So now right. we only have one guy, one token guy. So it could be really interesting, or I, or it could go really bad. So I'm <laughs> curious to see which way it goes. Yeah. And then after those three issues or episodes, we will be doing a special gold key surprise that we won't really talk about now. But uh, Yeah, because we're still figuring it out. Gives you something to look forward to for episode 166. <laughs> yeah, it's something different. In the constant quest to keep the podcast fresh, this is yeah. something very different. So uh, look forward to that one. 
And then we'll be back in Marvel, uh, episode 167. Yeah, where we'll find out what happens to the convicted Captain Sisko. And the in peril, Chief O'Brien. Right, after we get some more Nog and some more Taz and Next Gen. Yeah. So, until then, I guess we'll sign off and see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.